Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. I'm your host Michael Jacobs on the other side. We're here discussing the films of 1991. We have four movies set up for every episode. In this one we have selected uh, Talent for the Game, Father of the Bride, Soap Dish, and Defending Your Life. Jacob's gonna roll the dice and pick the first movie. Hey there, Podlandia. I want to start off with uh, Talent for the Game because I watched Major League recently and then coming you know, getting in, you know, baseball y kind of mood. I, uh, I wanted to discuss this one first and get it out of the way. Yeah. Uh, this was a bit of a surprise. I, all these movies I had not seen before. Father all four? Father You've Bride, never seen Bailey, Father Bride. That's like, that was required by law to watch Father Bride growing up. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> especially after watching it, yeah. Uh, you know, especially considering, like, you know, my friends got married uh, almost a year ago coming up uh, in March and you know just to think you know I'm close to that family so I'm a, I was imagining like what you know you know the, the father of the bride was actually going through in his head like yeah. oh, good lord uh, sorry listen, before we jump on that but yeah Talent for the Game uh, barely released by yes. Paramount Pictures uh, for whatever reason and I know it's not high profile uh, Edward James almost was a TV guy never really had a theatrical hit uh, Lorian Braco had just come off a of Goodfellas that might have helped a little bit, but it's you know it's very low key, quiet film um, about a, a former. It's very close to being a, like a, a partner with Bull Durham, with the way it plays with the guy who's never really been in the majors. He's always been on the outskirts of it. Yes, he's he's just a, yeah he's a um, recruiter. Yeah, and he's he, a scout. He looks out for uh, you know big game players that have potential to make it in the big leagues. Yeah, but he's really low on the rung, so he doesn't get to visit the elite places that the other guys do. And he was like I said, just a minor ball uh, player, and he's getting towards the end of his contract with this company. And they're gonna let him go if they don't find somebody. If he doesn't find somebody soon, so he's getting desperate. And like I said, they don't send him to the yes, good places. They send him to the fucking weird ass places. A mine shaft. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but yeah, and also, yeah, um, I think later on in the movie, once he gets back uh, from traveling, he finds out that, you know, of course, the Angels have been bought out. That's the, that's the team he uh, scouts for. And yeah, no, okay, going down to this mine shaft and looking at all these, like, you know, minor, these, like, minor league games, you know, finds some of the familiar faces. Very nice guy, very charming, you know, knows the game and knows how it should be done. And overall, watching this movie again, there was just a lot of heart. It was very, you know, charming. It had its like funny moments. Like even when it, it like it, it can like uh, some bad moments can immediately turn around. Like you know, he like his car breaks down, and he's traveling with his wife. They're like on vacation, and then you know, just taking a little break from life and everything. And then you know, he says something mean because you know he feels like down on his luck. His pride's being hurt. Yeah. You still there? <laughs> did I just lose you? <laughs> oh, I did just lose you. Son of a bitch. Awkward as fuck, everyone. Yay, Jacob's back. That was not... Yeah. Yeah. Right, no, stupid. it wasn't. I got, hit, I got hit out to right field, and luckily it didn't go out of the park. It was caught. Yes. His career's falling apart, and he finds this wonderkin, and I thought this was a real baseball player. I've never seen him before. Um, his name is Jeff Corbett, and I was like, oh, he must have been a baseball player that did auditions or whatever they thought he was good enough. No, this guy's, he hadn't been a ball player at some point. 
Um, I can't find a history of it, but he is pretty good at, at the baseball part, not so much the acting. That's what I was about to say. Like, I thought like he was a bit of a weak link, but everybody else really managed to carry this movie. Yeah, oddly enough, he still acts all the time. I'm looking at his IMDb. He's still, uh, woo, he's, uh, it's full. Um, but I, I think the baseball part's really exciting, and I think the little details that go into this, and it would be explored again three years later uh, with The Scout, uh, Albert Brooks and uh, Brendan Fraser film about how you find these players. And he's never played ball professionally. He's just kind of like thrown in you know, this backwoods town in Nebraska. I think it was, or it was Iowa. And uh, all of a sudden he signs this phenomenal deal uh, and then promoted the fuck out of him, you know, before he's even been tested really. And they're going to throw him as a starting pitcher for a major league ball game. And, you know, it, it's just... The problem is the guy who bought the Angels is like a movie producer, a studio owner. He sees everything as some big spectacle that you need to promote, like a big blockbuster. And he nearly destroys his kid's career. And I think there's a lot of heart into the relationship between Edward James Olmos and the kid that really saves this movie. Exactly, yeah. Edward James Olmos is the one guiding him. It's like, dude, you know, you're young. you got a lot ahead of you. And he's just trying to keep him calm. It's like, dude, keep your pitches in the zone. And, of course, him being on the field was important because when he was on the field, he helped that kid find his center, you know, have control of the ball. Yeah, hypnotized. You're hypnotized. You don't have a choice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, again, I just love how, like, Eric James Olmos and the general manager stood up to the billionaire owner because it's like, dude, these guys know baseball. You just, you know, collect the check. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and he threw him away. Was gonna just like uh, you know destroy his career and never pay him whatever. And he's, I mean, to, this is spoilers, everybody. So fast forward if you haven't. I love the fact that he lets him out of his contract, but then he does such a phenomenal job afterwards. And he, he's like, okay, so the contract that you're under now, he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not under contract. We have to sign the whole new deal here, and you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like way to stick it to him. That's how you do business, kid. <laughs> Around here, yes, how you do it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, the Robert M. Young, I know this name, he directed this, and... Uh, oh, no, just a bunch of dramas. Uh, I, for some reason, I thought he was somebody else. Never mind. Um, <laughs> but it's a pretty good movie. Easy to find now, uh, especially since it's streaming on so many places. Uh, you know, either to rent, buy, or I think it might be on the CBS network since Paramount owns it. Or CBS Plus, is that what it's called? Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, thank you. I can't remember. They keep changing these damn names. Um, Peacock. There's no way Peacock's going to stay that way. There's, it's going to be called like Universal Plus or something. Yeah, who knows? I mean, I guess it, it, who know, I guess if you know, the office is streaming on there, it's going to stay around for quite a while. People still love the office. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who can't? Yeah, um, so our second film is going to be... Oh, gosh. This one, again, really surprised me, and I absolutely loved it. Defending My Life. Honestly, this is how I picture... Uh, the afterlife being definitely not so much uh, like angelic and mystical and all fanciful, but you know, more like a fancier and better run version of Disneyland. Yeah, and it's it's like so close. Well, we're just trying to replicate what you experienced in your natural life and stuff like that. And it's a character piece. Yes, there is a decent Absolutely. amount of like cool visuals because they have this like perfect city, but it's more about. Um, all the mistakes that you make in life and were you a coward? Are you worthy to move on to the next life? So the funny thing is I like Albert Brooks 
takes all concepts of the afterlife that we have in our heads. You know, reincarnation, you know, uh, you, you move on, is this, um, uh, what do you call it, limbo, you know, stuff like that. Like all sorts of different ideas combined into one, but it's all character-based exactly. and dialogue-based. And I think the performances are absolutely fantastic in this. Precisely, yes. Rip Torn, you know, being like his lawyer, you know, again, yeah, representing his case, you know, trying to make sh- trying to make him out to not be a coward, which of course was very was like seated in his upbringing, considering like he sees like you know when his parents were arguing in front of him when he was a baby, the little when he got bullied at school, you know, there were some uh, arguments and statements that did hold up. Yeah. Um, but, this this saved Rip Torn's career. Uh, he was unhirable. No one wanted anything to do with him. Uh, he was always seen as kind of a heavy, a villain. And this cast him in a whole new light. And because of this movie, he got cast the next year on the Larry Sanders show, which won him uh, tons of acclaim. And I think it was on for like eight years. And it turned him into more of a comedic actor. I mean, most people from your generation probably know him from uh, Men in Black. Men in Black and uh, Hercules. <laughs> Freddy got fingers. Yeah. <laughs> Freddy oh, got God. I got I to find that on Blu-ray. I got to find that movie on Blu-ray. I fucking love it. It's ridiculous, but I love it. What? Freddy got fingers? <laughs> yeah. I think it's in my my voodoo. Uh, I have to find it. But yeah. yeah um. Yeah. Also, uh, also, I grew up watching the airplane films. I always thought he retorted was a comedic actor. I did not realize he was like more serious. Yeah. Uh, that was – well, they cast him in that because – he was a serious actor and he could pull that off. A lot of actors' careers got saved by being repurposed uh, in comedies. Like, they're so known for being dead serious and then someone finds uh. something there to utilize. Uh, I mean, Leslie Nielsen's career was completely saved by that whole genre. Oh, well, now that you mention that, yeah. And, uh, Shit. and Meryl Streep, uh, I don't... I feel like she's not given a whole lot to work with, you know, in what you consider a Meryl Streep movie. But she's fine. I liked it. I like the end that they uh, they finally come together and he overcomes his fear. Yeah, he takes courage. He actually, you know, um, manages to take risks. Yeah. Goes all out. And again, as far as Meryl Streep goes, I'm gonna be disappointed by Meryl Streep, no matter what movie she's in. Like, <laughs> I think there was a uh, posted a meme of uh, Eric Stone Street. Um, modern family he's like talking to one of their neighbors uh, they're coming over for dinner and she's like we, you know my husband and I watched the uh, Mamma Mia the other night but I don't think Meryl Streep was the, was the right choice and then it cuts to Eric Stone Street saying excuse me Meryl Streep could play Batman and be, be the right choice like that's how great of an actress she is <laughs> yeah like, she was she does this is that weird period where she started doing mainstream films because she was mostly known for doing artsy fartsy films that no one you know like us would probably ever watch but then she did She Devil out of nowhere uh, with uh, Roseanne. Roseanne. It didn't do very well, but she got good, uh, uh, you know, word about it. And then she you know did this. And then uh, Death Becomes Her and uh, <laughs> The River Wild. And so, yeah, she started doing some more mainstream films mixed in with the artsy films. Yeah, she was, of course, like bouncing around and showing what she can do. And anything she put, any, any role she's put in. She could definitely kill it easily. Yeah, I mean, this did well considering uh, the spring of 1991 is one of the worst in box office history. I'm not kidding. Um, this is oh, when I was reading Entertainment Weekly all the time, and I was picking up, I was reading the box office charts every week. And your number one movie would be like four million, five million. That was it. And no movie oh. really, no movie really topped 25 million dollars except for oh. um, 
I think Sleeping with the Enemy was the only hit through that whole run. And then, of course, you know, you look at May of 91 and that whole summer, and it's just fucking bananas how big all those movies were. I don't know what happened. Um, just, they just, I guess every studio just put out movies that didn't garner any interest. Yeah, no, sadly, uh, my God. So that was basically a slump here for cinema. Yeah, well, I'm just looking at some of the early ones here on my list. Uh, like The Hard Way was number one for two weeks, but I don't think it even made $30 million. Uh, oh. Career Opportunities, uh, you know, a cult classic, didn't make any money, Defend Your Life only made 16, Drop Dead Fred bombed. Um, God, I'm just looking here. Um, bomb, 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 Perfect Weapon, bomb, you got cult favorite. Yeah, it wasn't until May when you got Robin Hood, City Slickers, Backdraft, Thelma and Louise, What About Bob? That's one fucking month. I know. And then, like, what? When Terminator 2 released? Yeah, that was July. So, yeah, it got really big once May hit, but it's if you look at the box office, it was really rough. and uh, Slow start. Yeah, there was some good stuff in there, but I think it's kind of like the fall the the fall of 96, uh, where you look at every single movie as, like, that's a call classic, that's a call classic, and everything tanked. Just sometimes it happens. Oh. And there's no COVID, you know, to blame it on the back then. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, uh, God. All right, so to uh, brighter. Oh no, I forgot. Uh, the, the, our next film was uh, May of '91 too. Wow, what a month! Soap Dish, also a big hit. Not oh, as big as the other God. ones, but 41 million is nothing to sneeze at. No, no, no. Of course not. And honestly, just watching this movie, fucking wonderful cast. Just the way it unfolded, it was like uh, a soap opera making fun of soap operas pretty much yeah <laughs> uh produced by aaron spelling the king of soap opera you know he always did all the, he didn't do the daytime stuff but he did all the jiggle fest nighttime stuff and he had just launched um 90210 at this point melrose was t uh, to come up soon but he knew his soapy bullshit you know and so <laughs> it's the behind the scenes of like a days of your lives you know or days of our lives general hospital kind of show where every plot is so convoluted and weird and I mean, it's every detail down to the casting processes and bringing back old actors that used to be on the show, you know, stuff like that. And then the fact that there's a relationship connected to relationship and there's all this backstabbing and questionable stuff that's not coming out. I think this is top game for me. I, mean, I can't believe Absolutely. how good everybody is. Absolutely. Tell everybody who's in the cast. Okay, we've got Sally Fields. Uh, she plays uh, like the main soap opera star. And Mike, just the way she carries herself into this role, oh my god. You would believe that she's so fucking conceited. Yeah, <laughs> she played great. It that this well. is so against type two for her. Oh, absolutely. No, oh my god, this is not Sally Fields. Sally Fields is always a fucking sweetheart. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's basically like a meta version of what people would see her as. They think she's this terrible, uppity, you know, soap opera, not diva, but uh, the opposite. Yeah, there's a there's another movie real quick before we go into the rest of the cast that came out this summer where it was a spoof of soap operas as well and it didn't do very good was Delirious with John Candy, which to this day I think is highly underrated and I don't know why it bombed. Oh my, is that the one where he types everything and it comes true? Yeah. Oh, I know which one you're talking about with Mariel Hemingway. Correct. Oh, okay. All right, who hey, else is in this that's cast? What it's called. Oh god, we got Kevin Klein again. Gosh, what was it? Uh to death uh, of course a fish called Wanda he brings all that energy so much in this movie and it's great like you can tell like uh, his character used to be you know a co-star of uh, Sally Field's character they were eloping and then she you know sabotages him and kills his career and he's now like doing death of a salesman 
at this old Florida steakhouse? <laughs> like, what? It's really, no, it's that a thing. Exists? Down in Florida, it's called Dinner Theater. It's a really big thing down there, and it's just a restaurant where people perform. But at this one, people are particularly obnoxious. We just trying to do his lines, and the man's like, "Ma'am, you didn't bring me any condiments. Can I get some ketchup, please?" And he's trying to do his dramatic reading of Death of a Salesman. <laughs> I know, and they're all old too. <laughs> like, damn. <laughs> he I, takes himself seriously. Yeah, Kevin um, Klein is my mom's favorite actor, so I've seen like everything that he did. It's 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 this is a glory period for him, honestly. Oh, absolutely. My God, again, he, he he knocks it out of the park with this one as well. He and Sally Field bounces off each other like nothing. It's so wonderful. And then you've got um, another character, uh, Elizabeth Shue. Oh, wonderful, uh, Elizabeth Shue. Someone said that she couldn't act, and I was like, fuck you. Like, kiss the fattest part of my ass. What are you talking about? You haven't seen Adventures in Babysitting. Even her part in Karate Kid. And in the, what, season three of Cobra Kai. Yeah, I think she brings that sweetheart level back. I, I the only time I think that she didn't fit was because she was coming in as a replacement in the Back to the Future sequels. That's it. That's the only time I was like, mm, maybe not. Yeah, that was a bit of a letdown. They didn't, they really didn't do much with Jennifer. No, you know? it, well, it's, they lost the original person, and I don't think that Elizabeth Shue was that available for part two. And I think she's only in like a moment of part three. So. Yeah, she is. She's only in it like at the end when uh, Marty sets everything right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, also, um, again, yeah, the way she carries herself, she's Sally Field's niece in this movie. She comes in and she wants to act, and Sally Field's like doing her best to like try and get her out of it. It's like, okay, there's some ulterior motive. And then, of course, you got the supporting cast. You got Robert Downey Jr., who's like the producer, who's trying to get her fired to uh, Civil Shepherd? No, Kathy Moriarty. Kathy, Mor- Kathy Moriarty. My bad. Kathy Moriarty. Oh, God, love her. She's funnier than hell. Uh, how she's seducing Robert Downey Jr. to try and like kill her off so she can get a bigger part and if she does she'll have sex with him (laughs) (laughs) here's the thing that kills me about this movie every time I see Robert Downey Jr. in this he looks like a grown up version of Kieran Culkin from Home Alone (laughs) that's probably what happens who knows that's probably where what happens with Fuller as he gets older (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then uh, smaller roles we have Carrie Fisher um, oh I'm (laughs) <laughs> Whoopi, Terry Her Hatcher, um, I feel like it was called, oh, yeah. Gary Marshall. Yes, but I want to say about Carrie Fisher, like her, her scene, she's like looking for like background talent for the soap opera. She sits with one of the guys and then Elizabeth Shute bursts in unannounced. She's putting her panties back on and I love her line. She's like, oh yeah, that's great. But right now, right now I'm just being a bitch. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I love her sass. Like it was very brief but memorable. Yeah, this um, has so much energy in it. And it's just so much fun to watch. Yes. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And just the way it unfolds, you know, to this big old like soap opera plot, and I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> I I couldn't help but just laugh out loud in almost every moment. <laughs> it's a screwball comedy, basically. And I think there's a thing I'm going to spoil real quickly. Uh, so fast forward a minute or two. Uh, there's a development with Kathy Moriarty's character and I was dreading it because I remembered it but I didn't remember the execution of it so it is 1991 so you have to give it a little bit of curve but considering how they could have gone I think they did a really good job especially when Robert Downey Jr. finds out at first he's just in shock and then there's never that like you know the way it is in Ace Ventura where he's throwing up and stuff like that (laughs) yeah he, he doesn't do that all they do is see each other in the hallway and he goes hi and that's it. 
it leaves it open to interpretation that he's okay with it. He just needed a moment to gather his thoughts. Uh, instead of go to ew gross blah you know whatever like they always do in these movies, um, yeah. I think they handled it well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean uh, to clarify, first and foremost, like when someone has fully transitioned into a woman, like they're a woman. It's okay. There's like chill. Yeah. Please, they're human beings too. Um. So yeah, I, I, this is my favorite of the four, but there is a lot more now in our final film that I connect to as a you know a guy in his forties now. Jeez, how did that happen? <laughs> I still feel t- time. There's times when I feel like twenty. I'm still twenty five, and I don't get how I'm forty five. But uh, Father of the Bride, <laughs> Father of the Bride, the whole time I just kept going, "A, you're not that poor. You own a fucking mansion and a shoe company. So stop your bitching." And B, why the fuck does this cost so much? <laughs> In SoCal, no less. Huh? In SoCal, that's where there are. Oh, God, in 1991 money. That's the other thing. 30 years from now, I'm like, no. 200, what what was it ahead? $250 a person at this wedding? Yeah. That'd be like 800 now. And fuck you people. You're not coming. You'll see pictures. That's it. Buy your own cake. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Just the way uh, Steve Martin was just, again, playing that, you know, that, you know, father realizing his child's growing up, he has to repair all this, the cost, like everything's just hitting him all at once to the point where he just kind of goes a little ballistic and tries to buy hot dogs, but he like, <laughs> tears off four of the buds. Like, <laughs> I get that. I mean, I only buy like maybe two packs and it's like, I only just need eight buns. But the, again, just the way he tried and carries that conversation, like, you know, I only want to pay this amount, you know, all his little statistics, every little detail he brings up. I'm like, Shit, this is definitely Steve Martin. Just this is calm Steve Martin. Yeah. <laughs> you can keep the other two. I don't need them. Sir going to call security. You just do that. <laughs> oh man. Again, it's uh, I thought everybody did it like a fantastic job. Diane Keaton as his wife, you know, she was very open and understanding, you know, because she's more grounded, you know, down to earth. So she understands, like, her daughter's grow- whose daughter's grown up, she's in love, she's going to get married, and this is actually happening. Yeah, well, and- I mean, they try, to, they try to infuse the fact that he goes, honey, we got married before her. You know, she's 22 or something like that, and we got married younger than that, and he's just not listening. He's not like, la, 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 It was different back then, no? <laughs> he's, he's, I know he's in denial. It's like, dude, like, honestly, this might have been, uh, and, of course, back then, was, like, most likely an inevitable stage. Like, dude, your kid's grown up. And it is. It, it hit. It hits. I understand. I mean, I can see that from, like, you know, some of my friends who are parents, you know, watching their kids grow up. I'm like, yeah, no, it's an inevitability. Yeah, Diane Keaton to... doesn't really have a lot to work with in this one. She's more part of the sequel. But the reason why she took this is because it was from the writers of one of her previous hits, Baby Boom. Charles Shire and Nancy oh. Myers. Uh, they were husband and wife, and they worked on a ton of movies together. They got divorced, and they're now working separately. But at the time, they were a powerhouse. Uh, just to give you an idea of what they did before this, um, they did much TV, but they broke out in 1977 with Smoking the Bandit. Oh, wow. Yeah, Private Benjamin, Protocol, Baby Boom, Jumpin' Jack Flash, um, oh, and then Father dang. and the Bride. So it's been a little difficult since then. I think they did Parent Trap and um, uh, Alfie since then. But yeah, this mm. is like their big peak as writer-director team. No, absolutely. Okay. And then we got uh, Kimberly Williams, too, as the daughter, you know. 
Yeah, I, I felt like this is her debut, at least for us. Oh, for sure. You know, this is where she like first comes out. Like, she really carries herself. You know, she's, you know, she seems like she would be that kind of like independent woman. And that one scene where she like gets upset at George Newbern over their anniversary gift. Yeah. <laughs> she killed me. It's like that was the biggest reason. And C. Martin's like trying to like you know piece it together. Like, oh my gosh, she's really this upset over that. But I mean, coming where she's from, it's like. It, it felt like she was just going to be nothing more than just a housewife. You know, that's how she felt. And George Newbern's in the bar crying, and Steve Martin's just sitting there going, oh, gosh. Because deep down, he wanted this to happen, but not exactly like this. Like, he could see that they're both hurt. I was but, wrong. I'm sorry. Um, just to correct, I don't want people to think I'm being a sexist idiot. After Nancy Miles and Charles Shire separated, it didn't go too well for Charles Shire, but it went very, very well for Nancy Myers. Holy fucking shit. Um, she did... She wrote and directed uh, What Women Want, Something's Gotta Give, The Holiday, It's Complicated, and The Intern, all massive hits. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Oh, funny thing, you mentioning Kieran Culkin. Yeah. He's actually in this movie. He's their son. Yeah, and... it's, 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 I, think, I think it's his biggest performance at that point. He had done... Um, the sequel to A Christmas Story sometime around this. I don't know if it was right before this and it's on the shelf for a few years or it was right after this. But, you know, he well, he's barely in Home Alone, like for a minute. And, like, the next year he's up and coming. He's getting strong performances, uh, you know, big exposure just like his brother was. Right, yes, of course. And, oh, God, I think, like, one of my most uh, memorable roles for him was, I think, 12 years ago in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. He played Wallace. Oh my god, it's 12 years ago? I am old! Um, I always think of Igby Goes Down. I think that's highly underrated. I think it's a really good performance. That's another one, yeah. yes. That, I mean, I couldn't remember the fucking name. It always just, uh, it always just flows right through my arm. Yeah. Ah, sorry, I mumbled there. It it's goes okay. right through me. Yeah. And who is the golden egg that they plant in this movie to make it fucking genius? It's Hans. Martin, <laughs> Martin Short as Frank Egger. Oh, Frank. I'm sorry, those Hans. Holy <laughs> shit, I love Martin Short. And this is when Martin Short realized it was smarter to step back and be a, a very memorable support instead of being a lead. Because um, <laughs> when he had he had Inner Space, and that was an okay hit. Uh, Three Fugitives, huge. Uh, Pure Luck he did right before this that bombed and then he had Captain Ron and after that he really didn't star in any more movies he became a support and I think that's where he's happiest is playing these wild and crazy characters oh god absolutely honestly it is his forte it's where he belongs I mean look at Jiminy Glick yeah he's in <laughs> character well think about a lot of his major starring roles because like Clifford he plays an 8 year old boy who's psychotic <laughs> Simple Wish he's a G uh, uh, you know of the, what do you call it magical fairy wish what the fuck? fairy godmother yes yeah and I just think he's better as a support and I and I did bring it up I can barely understand what the fuck he's saying in this <laughs> But I just love how he's just like all over the place, like getting this particular chef, translating, B.D. Wong's his assistant. Yeah. <laughs> and B.D. Wong's just like trying to like, it looks like he's just tolerating his boss. Yeah. I love when they're having <laughs> the argument about the food and he's like, we're going with the chicken. Go, oh, you can't have the chicken. Oh, no, I, I, can't do, I can't do that. No, we're going with the chicken or that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I said, everybody's chemistry was just so beautiful. It, 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 how can you not help watch? How can you not help but watch it? it, it 
you know, overall enjoyment. Yeah, this is a- uh, this is one that we saw in the theaters. The whole family went. I, well, I think it was actually not my dad, but my mom, uh, my sister, and I went and saw this, and it was a huge hit, like eighty-one million dollars on like a eighteen million dollar budget, whatever. And it was needed because Steve Martin had a couple duds there. As much as we love My Blue Heaven and L.A. Story, they didn't do that well. This was huge and would carry him for years. Oh, absolutely. I mean, heck, it did get a sequel. Yeah, but I got to tell you, I don't think we're going to discuss seeing the movies in the midpoint, though, because we have, um, uh, what's that one where he's a con artist preacher? Oh, the one with Liam Neeson. Oh, man. The fuck's that called? I'll, I'll, hold on, I can look it up right now. Yeah. Okay, so there's a simple twist. Processing. Of... Processing. What? I'm like I'm processing. I said oh. processing like oh. you know, like I'm a robot. I love it when you're on the phone with one of those things that goes processing. It goes. <laughs> yes, that. <laughs> um, so yeah, simple twist of fate was more of a dramatic role, and that tanked horribly. Mixed nuts tanked horribly, and whatever that fucking co- leap of faith. That's it. Leap of faith in my head. I just remembered. Um. Yeah, all three of those tanked horribly. If it wasn't for Father of the Bride 2, he would have gone a very long time without a hit because, remember, he did Sergeant Bilko, and that also bombed, and he disappeared for three years. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah, there was one that he did, but that was in 89. Never mind. Parenthood. Yeah, Parenthood was a huge hit. Uh, You know, he was doing really good for a while there. From 84 to 89, he had nonstop hits, and then it just kind of petered out in the 90s. But that's what happened with almost all our great comedian stars. Dan Aykroyd couldn't get a foothold. Chevy Chase kept flopping left and right. Even Eddie Murphy stumbled for a while. And just, it was just a whole new school of, I don't know. I don't even know who the lead in all the funny movies were. It just seemed like they're all fresh faces. And like the new Saturday Live guys hadn't been established yet. Like next year we're going to get um, uh, Wayne's World. And that's when it's going to give us a couple guys. But the early 90s, it's kind of a mixed bag of who's going to be your comedic lead. Oh, exactly. I mean, especially now that you mentioned Saturday Night Live in the 90s, yeah, you had Adam Sandler, David Spade, Rob Schneider, Phil Hartman, uh, Chris Farley was coming into the fray. Yeah, but it's not until like 95 is when all these guys start getting their leads. I don't know where that voice from. 95? <laughs> I'm Christopher Walken. <laughs> oh, maybe John Travolta in his younger years. <laughs> hey, Sandy, you can't just oh. walk out in a driving movie. <laughs> Sandy. Why, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's happening right now, and I love it. We're just doing Don Travolta impressions. All right, so that is it for this episode. The next episode, we'll be discussing the following Thumb on Louise, which I just got done watching, Drop Dead Fred, The Doors, which holy shit, I got a lot to talk about with that one, and Career Opportunities. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be the longest, I think, of any of our seasons. I, the list of 1991 movies is insane, and I already covered a handful of them on other shows. The point of this is trying to cover movies that we didn't on the previous shows. Like, we're not going to do Point Break. We're not going to do Bogus Journey because I already discussed them somewhere else. Uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead I've already done. So there's a handful that are already taken care of. Toy Soldiers. Um, fuck, I just remembered another one I want to add. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Literally, okay, so I thought of Delirious, and then I thought of Oscar with, uh, with uh, Stallone, which I think is his most underrated movie. I love Oscar. Um, have you ever seen that one? Uh, I'll have to look into it. It's a screwball comedy directed by John Landis, and Stallone is fucking gold. People say he can't do comedy, and they're wrong. This is the one time he got it right. Oh, absolutely. Heck, he was even enjoyable in uh, Spy Kids. Uh, you can. I'll, 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 I'll let you go with that one. 
<laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I ended up, like, it, my mom took us and the kids out, and I was kind of forced to see it in theaters, but, you know, I always enjoy Stallone, you know, regardless. Yeah. Well, I, don't, I, mean, I, like, I see Expendables 4 is done filming, and uh, I'm curious how much of it he's going to be in, because he's, like, what, 75 now? Broken yeah, neck? Yeah, he's definitely, <laughs> yeah, he's up there. I, Dolph Lundgren, though, I don't, I don't do all of them, pretty much. It's like, damn, dude, they're all up there. Yeah, like, I age. get the feeling it's all going to be and. Is they're going to make this more of a Jason Statham movie because there's no way they're spending $100 million on this like they did parts 2 and 3. I bet you it's $50 million shot overseas somewhere super cheap. That's why you don't see any big guest stars in this new one. It's just Andy Garcia and that uh, Uwao Aquias, whatever, from The Raid. Um, you know, it's nothing, okay. no real big names. I mean, if you count Megan Fox as a big name, you haven't been paying attention to her career. Um, I'm holding my pen like I'm a cigar. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. <laughs> all right so yeah, that's coming no. up in the next episode and uh that is it for tonight check us out on facebook and twitter under hit rewind podcast and jacob send us out boy <laughs> all right everybody namaste good luck have a good night tip your waiter and this is riptor saying shut up and go to sleep <laughs>